Hi, I'm Lawrence Cornfield, Chief Building Inspector with the Department of Building Inspection in San Francisco, and we are here at the base of Telegraph Hill to talk about a subject of great interest to many people in San Francisco, which is rock falls, rock slides, slope stability, which often cause uh, dramatic front page news. And uh, I'm here with two really wonderful, knowledgeable guests, Ms. Uh, Dr. Lou Gilpin, who's an engineering geologist, is that right? Yes. And Frank Rollo, who is a geotechnical engineer. Correct. But we're here to talk about rock falls, rock slides, and related uh, issues. So what is an engineering geologist, and what is the difference between that and a, and a, a geotechnical engineer? Lou. Uh, engineering geologist uh, deals with uh, identifying site characteristics, mapping uh, the ground surface, and, and uh, collecting all this data to report and deliver to the geotechnical engineer, who can then uh, uh, come up with mitigation designs and ways to repair slides and protect people. So part of the team, there's the engineering geologist, there's a geotechnical engineer, and then this feeds into the structural engineer who might be working on a building as well, if there's a building involved. What, what, what's your role in this, Frank? Well, as a geotechnical engineer, I'm interested in how the, I'm interested in the physical properties of the earth and then how the earth is going to behave when subject to different load changes. Uh, when, when a landslide occurs, obviously, it's a change in, in loading. Uh, when you build a building, you're applying a load and you're interested in will the earth be able to support that load and how will it behave when subjected that to, to that load. So as Lou and as you pointed out, we work closely together and to come up with uh, practical engineering solutions. And engineering solutions primarily when somebody wants to build something, but also if there's just a raw piece of land and we have some kind of slide on it, we've got to solve the problem of how to reduce the hazard. Is that right? If you look at the United States, about two-thirds of the population live in areas that are prone to uh, landsliding. In fact, in fact, about uh, $2 billion worth of damage occurs annually from landslides, and unfortunately, 20 to 25 people die as a result of landslides on an annual basis. Now, is San Francisco excessively prone to landslides? Well, yes, it is. If you look at the map, you'll see that much of the California coastline, including San Francisco, is either a bright red or a beige, and those are areas that are prone to landslides, as well as other parts of the United States where similar situation. So here we are at the base of Telegraph Hill on Lombard Street, right. a little section of Lombard Street owned by the city, and behind you guys is a large hunk of something exposed. You're looking at a, a large cliff that was excavated out by quarrying at the turn of the century, and the uh, rocks exposed in it are about 160 million years old. It's a sequence of sandstones and shales and, and accumulated debris and material that was eroded off the continent and deposited in, in the offshore areas. Uh, west of here many, many years ago, and eventually ended up piled up here and, and faulted up. The quarrying activity was so intense, and they used so much dynamite that it, they kind of overblasted, and they, the outer uh, five to ten feet of the face was left shattered. And what you can see up there now, the very fresh colors and the pile of debris that's sitting up precariously perched on the edge of the cliff up there, is a is fresher and more recent than all the rest and it's it stands out to your eye because there's no vegetation on it and there's no gray sort of weathering of the material and those are the sorts of things you look for 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 evidence for recent sliding there are many types of slides uh, there's 
Uh, the bedrock slides are what we're looking at right now, and it's a combination of a block slide and a topple, where the material is just just out of balance and is falling off by gravity. And when earthquakes shake it or rainfall uh, pushes from the from the groundwater and, and out of the cliff. But as you can see, the block slides and the topples are just one of many types of different. Uh, landslides or slope failures. And do we have all these kinds of uh, failures in San Francisco? Or Unfortunately, we probably have all of them. <laughs> <laughs> because this area was blasted during the uh, late 1800s and early 1900s, the rock from here was used to build the, the seawall that exists all the way along the Embarcadero. came from this hill. This used to be a, a large a, a, a knoll that was just mined back to its present. One of the issues that we deal with is because of this uh, blasting that occurred, the rock is weak. It's, it's right. fractured. And so while most of the time we're called during periods of heavy rain to come to the site because there's been a rock fall, it sometimes has nothing to do with rainfall. It's just the fact that the rock is fatigued, the, it's old, and it just falls. Right. Yeah, uh, and, and in this particular where we're standing, we see a catchment wall at the base of the, the slope. Big, the big steel uh, beams. You see the steel the, beams with, with the fence the and the cables. And, and, and that's an effective way of preventing the rock that does fall from causing damage to adjacent improvements. Now, that may protect the bottom of the hill, but unfortunately it doesn't do anything at the top of the hill. And as it works its way back, it can, in fact, affect... Uh, improvements such as residences on top. Now, it's long been my understanding that the city of San Francisco says, and I, the building department takes this position, that there is no unbuildable lot. If you put enough money into the engineering and the construction that you can stabilize this kind of thing and you can build on it. And I just wonder if that's a realistic point of view. If money is not an issue, uh, we can develop solutions that will mitigate the impact of, of rock falls. And, and that solution could be eliminating the hill, right. so you eliminate the problem, uh, or build a structure right into the hill so that there's no longer an exposed face, right. or bolt enough of the rock together so that it acts as a big buttress and prevents further movement. Mm -hmm. And the bolting is very common in San Francisco, as well as the tucking of the building up against the cliff and allowing the wall of the building to act as a as a retaining structure. There was a time there where we didn't get any. Uh, we had the epic one in 82 when we had, in fact, it would be interesting, we brought with us today a, uh, a, a rainfall chart. This is really interesting because what, what you're saying is that rockfall is somehow correlated to rainfall. Is that right? Yes, yes. This, this chart goes from 1914 to 2006 and it was collected at Mission Dolores. And it's the, the red line in the background are the annual uh, rainfall mm -hmm. from each year is plotted on here. And you can see it, it varies all over the place according to the year. Um, but then if you take an average, the average for the whole period is this thin gray line here. Mm -hmm. And that's only, doesn't really give you a feel for what the rainfall is really doing. But if you look at the thick line, that's the average over a four year period. And you can see that Cumulatively, these things really build up until, like we have the big events in 97 or 82, 83. But before that, there's a huge drought. While you would expect to see landslides occurring during these epic rainfall periods, 
In fact, they may occur at that time, but they may occur the year after or the two years after because it's taken a while for enough rainfall to have accumulated mm -hmm. to cause the damage. And it doesn't only it doesn't affect the rock falls only. I mean, it triggers some of the major slides we saw in Pacifica. Right. Uh, you see along Ocean Beach these right. portions of the cliffs rotating out to sea. Mm -hmm. uh, when we look at this cliff up here, can you tell us what are some of the features of this that we can see, some of the geological features? We're lucky to have a very fresh exposure here today. And you can see that there's a, a large overhanging block there. And at the very edge of it, uh, inside edge, you can see roots coming out from underneath it. And roots are part of the problem. They push out the big blocks. But in addition to that, these are sandstones and shales that were deposited, as I said, offshore in near horizontal or sub-horizontal conditions and they've been uplifted and faulted and, and put into the position they're in today. But on the cliff face you can see in detail the bedding, uh, the finer laminated beds of the shales, inner bed between the big massive thick sandstones, and then there are vertical cracks also that get filled with water and plants grow in them. And every cut and slope is different and every bedrock structure has a different plays a different role in, in some of the rock falls. But the cumulative effect you can see of the big fresh cut with the debris sitting on the ledge about ready to come down and luckily we have the fence there to protect us from any rocks rolling out onto the street. This is one type of rockfall and we're going to go look at a few others. Can you tell us what we're going to see and where we might go? Sure. I, I, I think it would be appropriate next if we've been talking about we've been talking about rockfalls and topples which are uh, examples of the type of uh, instability that occurs at Telegraph Hill. We're now going to go out towards 7th Avenue, Dewey, across from Laguna Honda, where uh, there were major slides that occurred after the Loma Prieta earthquake. And it was more in the, in the uh, earth flow, debris flow type of movements, where the dune sand uh, just moved downhill as a result of the vibrations from the earthquake. So that's where we're headed next. Excellent. Well, here we are at our next stop on our landslide tour. This is the uh, Laguna Honda area, and we're actually standing on top of the Laguna Honda Dam. There's the lagoon of Laguna Honda, and we're going to look at this area, which is different than where we just were on Telegraph Hill, where we had toppling and big hunks of rock falling off. This is a whole different kind of concept here. So, Lou, uh, tell us what we have. We have the big hill behind us. What kind of... What kind of uh, formations do we have here? Uh, this part of San Francisco, uh, we're out into the, the surficial deposits and the dune sands, uh, which make up the hill to our to my right. Uh, but across the, the old drainage that we're standing on the dam that, that's damming it up is uh, bedrock, the 160 million year old sandstone that we saw at the last stop. Crops out right in the hillside over there and then uh, farther down at the, along the path that goes around the reservoir as well. We went from the rock fall area of Telegraph Hill with topples coming off that you saw pictures of and the block slides and now we're into the, the superficial unconsolidated material and so we have we're looking at earth flow type slides and um, and debris flows which are common on these steep hillsides where you can also you start to see the evidence for creep on the hillsides when the trees start to lean over which is good evidence for so creep is a slow movement of the slope, I presume, right? Yes.
the upper two to three, four feet, you can start to get movement, and that'll push the trees over a little bit. And this little area had a special history in the 1989 earthquake. We had a lot of damage here in a number of ways. First of all, the, I guess the water from the Laguna Honda uh, runs underground here out to Golden Gate Park and blocks, my recollection is that blocks all the way along from here to Golden Gate Park, two or three blocks on each side of 7th Avenue were severely damaged because of uh, the water underground. We had uh, uh, amplification of the ground motion. We may have even had some liquefaction and soil failures, but we also had on this hillside a major failure. Isn't that right? That's right. This uh, tributary actually goes all the way to the Golden Gate Straits. So it, it, it empties in a mountain lake over on uh, in the Richmond and then beyond that all the way out 25th Avenue. It was a surface flow along this area, then it was dammed, created the lagoon, or the. it's actually a reservoir, it's a lined concrete reservoir. Mm -hmm. On my right is this extensive deposit of dune sand. Dune sand is a recent deposit. It's windblown, it comes from Ocean Beach, and because the sand is continually moving, creeping, and you can see evidence of this all along this side of the hill, in 1989, the vibrations from the earthquake accelerated the creek. So you got significant amount of movement to the point that the homes that you see actually experienced severe damage for two blocks. We recognized what the problem was at the time. It was just a matter of loose sand on a very steep slope that moved. So to, thanks to the effort of Quinton Cop and others, uh, we were able to get federal funding and, des and, and design what you see this upper wall. The lower wall that you see here was actually built as a part of the WPA when they constructed 7th Avenue and Laguna Honda Boulevard. But the upper wall was built in 1991-92 and it's a concrete wall and it has rods going through the wall that extend for a distance of 80 feet beyond the wall. So when the next earthquake occurs, the, the wall is designed to resist the movement of the sand and allow the sand in front to move downhill. This is a classic example of, of creep and debris flow, and it exists all the way along this area. We may see other evidence of it in, during the next earthquake because we have done nothing to improve the quality of the, the, the strength of the sand. What we're trying to do is to protect the homes. Now, one of the things that's come up as a policy issue in San Francisco over and over is people are concerned that construction of a new building or a big addition or an upper story might exacerbate these kinds of soil problems. And so now we have extra review in areas where we might have potential soil instability problems. Does that sort of construction really have an impact on adjoining properties and is that the, the serious issue? It, uh, yes, it can affect adjacent properties and I believe it's a good idea to, to go to a peer review or a, a geotechnical, geological review process as a part of the permitting. There recently was a change in the building code, and I think it was the January of this year, 2008 building code, California building code, that now requires in certain areas, almost all of San Francisco, that we get both a, geo, a geologist and a geotechnical engineer involved in the review of these things. State, it was a state building code rather than just the local requirement. Well, I think that's a good idea, and if you recall, uh, several years ago, 
we passed what was called the Edge Hill Ordinance. That's right. You That's were right. you were involved in that. that yeah. It affects Edge Hill, and Edge Hill is a, is, is in the is in the vicinity of. Is that the same standing. kind of condition that we have here? Is that a creep and a? Uh, That's more the rock fall, mm -hmm. rock topple on one side, mm -hmm. and on the other side the creep. Yes, mm -hmm. it's a combination of combination. Oh. It's another quarry, though. <laughs> a man, oh, man induced instability. And now we have to deal with it. Dealing with right. it. So at some period in San Francisco, a lot of sand hills were scraped down and deposited in other places without being necessarily engineered, compacted, or consolidated, and people built on top of that. And so we have sort of a whole changed topography and geology of the city surface. And the house, people always say, oh, my building is... Not, not safe because it's on dune sand, or my building is great because it's on dune sand. What is the deal with dune sand? Is it a good build, Is it a good substrate to build on? If you understand the properties of the sand that's at your site, and if you do, and if you design to mitigate any adverse effects of of uh, settlement, then yeah, it's just it will perform as well as elsewhere. Right. Out here in the sunset, I live in the sunset. I live on the dune sand right. over the rock, right on the other side of this hill, and 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 I see the same conditions that exist here where we have creep and during an earthquake the sand shakes and it gets denser and and I, we see differential settlement in our right. home. We saw right. differential settlement in 89. That's right. Part of the problem when they moved the dune sand around is they might have filled in a lowland or a wetland or something and built on top of it and then the ground that's holding up the sand. And, and, is... and because dune sand is a poorly graded sand, it's usually brown or grayish brown in color and it's and it's and it's uh, it's difficult to distinguish what's fill and what's natural. Mm -hmm. So you could be drilling borings, as we do, and, and it's difficult to distinguish the contact between a fill right. and a natural sand. And so we have to go by its consistency, its looseness. You know, I have to mention, in San Francisco, we have a tremendous resource. We have a collection of soils reports that goes back many decades, and, and they cover the whole realm of the city where people have done borings and analysis of the soils. And we have them at the Department of Building Inspection, and you can come and you can, somebody who understands what they are can come and look at them and read them, and you can probably find one in your very neighborhood, typically. Is that right? That's true, but more basic than that, uh, many geologists have spent many years mapping the geologic conditions. So there are excellent geologic maps of the city. In fact, there are hazard maps. There's a in 1974, there was a, a landslide hazard map oh, the prepared. The Bloom Report, that's right. The Bloom Report, and uh, and that is, is available at, at the Department of Building Instruction. Of course, there's the excellent geology maps of a gentleman by the name of Bonilla and others that show what the conditions are in various parts of the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a real legacy of geologists working and... and uh, and it's not always published either. It's hard to get a hold. San Francisco has a great repository of some of these archives, but there was a geologist named Chester Marliev, and he had a brother, Burton, and they published reports and letters in the 40s and 50s, and uh, it's a, a great source of information. The next site we're going to is over on the coast, and, and they have the definitive work through all the outfalls and, and some of the areas over by the, the, the uh, Daily City San Francisco line. With all the, the how finely there. grained is this? How detailed? Do they pick up the uh, old ponds and uh, wetlands and so on and the stuff? 
typically? There, there is a map that was published in the 80s, I believe, on all of the bay sloughs. And it's a map of the, the uh, sloughs that were all infilled that San Francisco built out on the waterfront in the financial district and, and in the marina. And you can go back to these maps and, and actually see where the houses are with respect to these old sloughs that have been filled in with debris from the 06 earthquake or whatever, from the quarries or whatever. And that's one of the things that I've learned over the years about earthquakes is that the very local microzone, exactly where your building is, has a lot to do with how it's going to perform because site by site, San Francisco is so varied in, in its uh, topography, its geology, that uh, you can't tell unless you look at the site specifically. Exactly, and I think Lou brought a, had a good lead-in to our next site, and, and it's it's along Ocean Beach. It's at the it'll be at the end of John Daly Drive, uh, along Olympic Way out there. And maybe you could show on this what type of landslides we'll be looking at when we go out there. Uh, we're going to pick A type to go look at next: big rotational landslides, and there uh, the. They're called rotational because the surface that fails is, is a circular surface. They tend to, they're uh, slumps is another name for them, and they tend to go, uh, they can be a lot of movement all at once when the groundwater builds up, or they can slowly creep over long periods of time. Hey, here we are at the uh, top of an escarpment above Ocean Beach at the, at the, uh, edge of San Francisco where it meets Daly City, pretty much at the end of the world here. It's windy and cold. And uh, just south of here is Muscle Rock, which is where the San Andreas Fault runs out into the Pacific Ocean. And this is the point of San Francisco, just a, a little bit north of here, which is closest to the San Andreas Fault. And many people believe that the closer you are to the fault, the greater the ground motion might be. And so that portion of sort of southwesterly portion of San Francisco has some special earthquake hazards. But we're here to talk about the geology of this area. And Lou, why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on around here? Sure. Uh, it's the site of the Thornton Beach landslide. There's a giant step here at the edge of the escarpment, the edge of a landslide, and all the, the land to the west of us is, is part of a landslide that's probably upwards of 200 feet deep. Uh, toes out underneath the ocean there. It's been moving and, and causing damage here along this part of the coast for years and years and years. It was mapped by the earliest geologists. Different kinds of rocks here though. Uh, we're sitting on uh, a marine terrace deposits that are probably hundreds of thousands of years old and underneath there there's a big thick sequence of Merced formation which is a three million year old basin deposit that was formed by the San Andreas uh, interaction at the edge of the continental margin that we're sitting on right here. Right, and this, what we see on the ground here, this is just lying on top. What is this? Yep, uh, this is dune sand. Woo! Same material that we were looking at at the last site. Uh -huh. uh, same age, it's all recent. Uh, and, the, and you can see it's on its way back to our last site here as we drop it. Uh, it's transported by the wind. <laughs> and it's, and it's, at this location, it's approximately 40 to 50 feet thick. And it sits on these older formations that Lou's referencing. But basically, most of the year, it's dry. When the rains come, the, the dune sand acts as a big sponge. And, and the water flows through the dune sand, gets into the lower formation, and then 
the water level starts to rise in the dune sand, it acts as, and it becomes a reservoir for water, perched water, that is then dissipated during the drier months of the year. Uh, the Merced Formation forms a, a big, long, skinny basin that runs down the, the peninsula and up into San Francisco and underlies the, uh, the dune, dune sand area. Uh, but mostly it's the coastal bluff areas that have been subject to erosion from the waves and, and this groundwater that comes out to the, the bluff front, you start to lose the bluff front. This is the, the largest example of, of bluff failure for a long part of the coast, and it has been moving uh, continuously for a very long time. And in fact, the ground that you're looking at down at, near the ocean was actually at the same level as the ground that we're standing. Well, in 1982, a, a massive slide occurred further to the north, and in one day it moved five feet, and by the second day it had moved 30 feet out. So all that land down below us was up, sitting up here. There's some great geologic features of the landslide further to the south. Well, we see a big, steep bluff with houses on top, and then there's a, a very steep slope, and you can see some uh, debris slides where the sand is showing. There's no vegetation on it. And then you drop into a, a kind of a gully or a drainage swale, and that's called a groben. It's the top of the landslide that's uh, just dropped in the, in the middle, where another block is pulled away from the, from the edge of the, the big scarp. The higher hill on the outside edge, the ridge, and then the depression in the middle is the groben. Surface erosion is a very acute issue here because the houses are built close to the edge of the bluff. The, As you can the, see, you know, just by looking up there, you can see the evidence of the houses uh, directly adjacent to the bluff. Yep. We, we have similar conditions to that if you go around the corner along Sea Cliff, where in fact uh, uh, there has been significant movement, and in fact many of the homeowners along that portion of Sea Cliff. 25th Avenue East, etc., have had to come back in and do extensive foundation repairs, add uh, massive walls to protect the home while the uh, slope moves. These, uh, the, so here we have both the shallow slides, the erosion, surface erosion slides, the debris slides, and also these deep-seated slides. Um, during earthquakes, they're both activated, and 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 the the movement on the deep-seated slides. Uh, accelerates as well as some of the surficial uh, material that erodes and comes off the bluffs. I think if, if there's one point that's brought home from this this uh, little uh, discussion of landslide is that 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 San Francisco is a part of a, the community that 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 experiences many different types of landsliding from rock falls to deep rotational slides. We just need to be aware of, 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 the, of the geologic and, and topographic setting that we're in when we're planning to build our home, when we're planning to buy a home, when we're planning to add additions to home. And, and, and if I have one suggestion, and that is to uh, seek, first seek information from the Department of Building Inspection, and if you're not satisfied that there's ample information there, then retain the services of an engineering geologist or a geotech 
to, to provide you with an opinion as to the stability of the environment that you're in. And the building department typically will require that kind of information if someone is going to do a major addition or a new building. Gotcha. And what, what we saw today is why we require that information. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Frank. Thanks, Lou. That's really terrific. What a lot of fun. Get to see a lot more of the city. Places that people normally never go, like out here on the edge of the, edge of the world, in the, we the Western world. Thank you.